Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kraus, Licensed Professional Counselor. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about ecotherapy and ecopsychology with Dr. James Leiter, PhD. Dr. James Leiter has been facilitating nature-based archetypal experiences and integration around the world for many years. He holds a PhD in depth psychology, Jungian and archetypal studies, and a certificate in eco-psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. His doctoral research provides a foundation for an archetypally patterned ecotherapy, promoting a regenerative relationship to the entire Earth community. I really think you're going to enjoy this interview, and also, you will learn about opportunities to get involved with Dr. James Leiter's work, both individually and possibly in groups. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with people you know. I'd surely appreciate it. All right, now for the interview. Welcoming to the show, Dr. James Leiter, PhD. Thank you for coming, James. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I think there are a lot of people that are interested in ecotherapy and eco-psychology, but I think to give the listeners who may not be acquainted with it an introduction, we should probably start trying to define a little bit about what those subjects are. Could you give us a little introduction? Sure. Or I can try at least. Eco-psychology um, kind of means different things to different people, and there's a lot of different understandings of uh, what eco-psychology is. Um, so if we kind of look at the word etymologically and break it down, it comes from the Greek oikos, which means home, and the Greek psyche, which means soul, and of course logos, which is the study of or knowledge of. So what eco-psychology is concerned about is the study or knowledge of the home of the soul or of the soul of the home. And so when you, when you kind of boil that down, uh, what we get to is eco-psychology is about the relationship that we have to our home, the earth. Um, so there's a lot of different ways of, of looking at what eco-psychology is, what eco-psychology does. One of my favorite ones is uh, from Andy Fisher who kind of defined eco-psychology as a project with different um, distinct but interrelated tasks. Um, and these tasks range from the psychological tasks, what's my psychological relationship to habitat, to the earth, to the home, to our home. Um, he also described a philosophical task of the uh, project of eco-psychology and wanting to root the concepts and practices of eco-psychology into philosophical concepts, um, mostly regarding knowledge, epistemological concepts. And then there's the societal aspect of the project of eco-psychology, um, which has kind of been up and coming recently in eco-psychology. What is our cultural relationship to our home? And so there's, I really like that way of looking at eco-psychology because it does move beyond the boundaries of an individual and the psychological relationship that one has with, with the earth. So there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. And ecotherapy is the application of eco-psychology. Um, it has a lot to do with changing the way that we go about our daily relationship to the earth, understanding how it is that we relate to the earth and working to improve that relationship. It doesn't take long to understand that the way that we kind of relate to the earth culturally is destructive in a lot of ways. We hear it on the news, we see it as we go about our daily life and affairs in the, in the city. Um, so the ecotherapy helps improve the health of the individual, health and wellness, the sense of wellness that the individual has, but it also can help the way that that individual and culture goes about treating the earth and taking care of the earth or not. Well, I think that's a pretty good introduction. Uh, as we know from anyone who's paying attention to the news, we hear studies coming out about the way that climate change is changing the habitat. So super storms, super hurricanes, uh, more what they call natural disasters, fires becoming more 
prevalent on the west coast of the United States, well, the east coast of the United States is getting more and more wet, and we can see that in the last 50 years. And so there are these sort of elements in our culture where people, I believe, are getting to be scared and also frustrated and almost grief-stricken with the possible signs of uh, the climate as we know it changing uh, in our lifetimes for um, in, in ways that we haven't ever really witnessed except for in large-scale uh, climate events in the past. But this one is human-created, um, which is what the research says. So with all that in the news, uh, and then there's a kind of a differing side in, in the U.S., which sort of ignores it and says, well, this is we can't, pr- none of this is proven. We don't want to look at that study. And, um, you know, you guys are just being dramatic. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of confusion and fear. So I'm wondering how people that are thinking about the climate and eco, you know, e- the ecology of the earth, how can they benefit from something like ecotherapy or learning about ecopsychology? Right. So the, some of the things that you described um, fall into the category of what I call eco-grief. And every time we hear of some environmental crisis, we, have, we feel something, right? We don't just act like nothing happened. We feel something. We feel anger. We feel fear. We feel shame. We feel guilt. Um, so these feelings that we're describing right now, nobody really enjoys those feelings, I think. Maybe somebody does. I don't know. Um, But we try to avoid feeling like that, if at all possible. And so what happens is that we might distract ourselves with something. Uh, We might throw ourselves into our work. We might go watch a movie. We might do something so we don't need to feel those those feelings. The, The problem is that those feelings are there, and all we are really doing is repressing those feelings. And they will, they will come up at some point, um, usually at an unexpected and inopportune time, we will, this, this wave of grief will wash over us. And that will dictate our behavior without our permission. So what I'm saying is that these, these feelings become unconscious. They become a complex, and it, it becomes autonomous. So there's a lot to be said about ecotherapy confronting this shadow material and coming to terms with it and integrating it into how we go about relating to the earth, saying something like, okay, I I feel this grief. I feel this eco-grief. I don't want to. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to think about the planet not being able to to sustain life. I don't want to think about extinction. I don't want to think about climate change. I don't want to think about any of that. But when I do, when I invite that into the conversation that I'm having in my relationship to the earth, I go about the whole relationship differently. So does that make sense? It's, It's a lot about coming to terms with the world as it actually is and not how I might wish that it was. And the same thing happens when, when maybe when we hear about climate change deniers here in the U.S., like you mentioned, that there's a lot of people that want to deny the fact that, it's, that humans are creating or at least contributing to climate change. And so even when we hear that, that's a form of eco-grief. And that's where Andy Fisher's... Uh, idea of the societal aspect of eco-psychology comes into play. So it's not just the state of the earth, but it's the state of how the culture that we are in is responding to the ecological crises. And so to answer your question directly, coming to ecotherapy or, or engaging in ecotherapy is a way to come to terms with our full relationship to the earth and through that be able to make more informed decisions. So not only make... It- more informed decisions, but be able to integrate the feelings and the circumstances that we find ourselves in due to our relationship with the earth or our kind of misrelationship with the earth. Right. And, and on the other side um, of eco-grief 
is the celebration, the awe, the amazement, astonishment that we feel at being a part of the Earth community. And we, we feel that when we look up at the night sky or when we see a majestic landscape like the Grand Canyon or something like that. There's, there are, or encounter wildlife. You know, there, there's, there's this rush of excitement, this rush of celebration, this, this, this awe that's also a huge part of our relationship to the earth. And so these two aspects of our relationship to, uh, to the earth and to the earth community, um, the one eco-grief I call the terracentric, and the one of, of celebration and awe and astonishment I call the geocosmological. And both of these aspects of our relationship to nature, they, they seem polarized, they seem like they're opposites. And a lot of times we will tend to fully embrace the one or the other, completely repress the one and completely live in the other or vice versa. When the fact is we, f we feel all of them. All of us feel both at some point. And being able to integrate those into a fuller relationship leads to a better um, sense of being a part of and not apart from. So when we go f completely into the one or the other, we, we tend to alienate ourselves from one aspect or the other of our relationship to nature. So the application of eco-psychology being eco-therapy, this sounds like a good segue because you were talking about looking up at the night sky and being outside and connecting. But eco-therapy currently isn't exactly much like traditional counseling or psychotherapy. There are some elements that are related, but in the way that it's practiced, especially by yourself um, being a PhD from Pacifica, it is what I would call more like consulting or mentorship. Would that be accurate? That would be accurate in, in regards to what I do, the way I practice ecotherapy. Okay. Having said that, there are several traditional psychotherapists that utilize the concepts of eco-psychology in their practice. They might take the therapy session outdoors. They might um, bring natural items into their um, consulting or therapy space. There is, what I'm trying to say is there is cer most certainly an aspect of eco-psychology and eco-therapy that belongs in traditional counseling. But there's also a big aspect of eco-therapy that kind of sets out on its own, um, as it were, in that Ecotherapy is not necessarily looking for something to fix, right? It's trying to nurture a development of our relationship to the earth in order to proactively encourage and nurture a sense of wellness and a sense of, a sense of well-being for the earth and for the human. There's... So many, there's a lot of different kinds of practices in ecotherapy. So there's uh, programs in the UK where prisoners are taken from the prison to work on the farm, not as in the sense of a chain gang like or like we see in the movies, right? Digging ditches and things like that, but as a therapeutic effort to re rehabilitate the the prisoners. And results are coming out that show magnificent results. Right? There's, there's garden therapy, there, there's uh, forest bathing, there's the traditional counseling aspect of it, there are, are animal-assisted therapy. There is several different kinds of ecotherapy. And I was going to just add on to that. So there are many programs in the United States where you take a behaviorally challenged adolescent or young adult and they take them out into the wilderness, right. and they don't have any cell phones except for the leader of the group who has a cell phone for emergencies, and they they do all types of ecotherapy, um, rock climbing, you know, harvesting berries, um, drawing nature landscapes, uh, being a part of nature, cleaning up the habitat, but then they also pair that with psychotherapy. So every day there's a session or a group session um, to work on the what we would call the presenting problem. So ecotherapy in a, in a general isn't focusing on pathology, where psychotherapy 
Traditionally speaking, there are new approaches, of course, strength-based and, and of course, uh, positive psychology, which try to just focus on general well-being. But uh, in general, people come in with a problem. And people may come to ecotherapy with a problem, but they aren't maybe coming in with a diagnosis that they really care about changing or they they really want to change themselves and they want to change the way they're living, which can fundamentally shift any sort of symptomology. So I was just thinking about that. And then there's also, of course, farms and sort of getaways that people send their, you know, teens or young adults. And then there's the self-selective ones. I don't know if you've heard about worldwide opportunities on organic farms. Mm -hmm. So I've heard of this where people are in the corporate workaday world and they say, my God, this is terrible. They put all their stuff in storage or sell it and they, you know, go to an organic farm. They're all over the U.S. and and all over Europe and elsewhere. And for 20 hours a week, you work on the farm and learn a skill and then you get free room and board. And some people, for the other 20 hours, maybe just relax or recover from their overwork, or they may do a side gig on the internet, such as tutoring or, or something like that, um, for their other 20 hours of their week. So I was thinking about there's multiple applications of ecotherapy. Of course, the way you do it is not in the psychotherapy sense. What I've understood from what you're doing here in Michigan with um, groups and individuals is more of a coming alongside and uh, mentoring and guiding and consulting that person to sort of empower themselves, right? Uh, you know, instead of you know focusing on some sort of mental health thing, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And one other thing uh, before I forget, there is also a program for veterans, where veterans, combat veterans, can um, go out into a farm or into the wild and experience um, therapeutic effects. There, a lot of studies um, have been done in, in, the, in recent times that show very definite benefits of just simply spending time outside. And so the easiest thing that, that you can do is really just go outside. Go outside to the forest or, or, or to, a, to a lake or wherever, you know, a park and just be and just sit there for a while and the therapeutic we don't need studies to know that our batteries are charged when we when we spend time outdoors and what you mentioned about kind of the difference between traditional psychotherapy and ecotherapy usually people will come to psychotherapy with a problem or a diagnosis or something like that one of the main differences in the way that i approach those things is that a symptom in the way I approach ecotherapy is not something to be fixed or suppressed or medicated. It's something to be listened to. So you mentioned that sometimes people might come to ecotherapy with a problem that they're trying to deal with, but trying to to confront it on their own and in need of guidance, mentoring, support, witnessing, or just simply walking the path with someone else. So the symptom that one is experiencing is there for a reason. The psyche, in, in Jungian terms, is teleological. It mean, that means it has a purpose. It's trying to do something. It's trying to develop. It's trying to grow. It's trying to expand. It's trying to process some kind of information of some, from some place. So this, this symptom is the way that is an image of that, that the psyche is trying to communicate. And so a lot of times the symptom when one enters into ecotherapy, is a, a signpost. It's a guidepost. We can listen to it. We can honor it. We can respect it. We can work with it and try to understand what, what psyche is trying to say through that. And there's a lot of different ways to do that from a Jungian approach, working with the unconscious, of course, through dreams or active imagination, synchronicity. There's a lot of different ways to go about that. What happens is when you take that outside the rest of the world joins in, and it's, it's, it never gets old. It's always amazing. I was working with an alcoholic in recovery several years ago, and we were in the forest walking along, talking about things, and I told him basically, so what you're doing now is building a pathway into a new kind of life. You're building an archway, 
a gateway that you can pass through into a new life. And as we rounded the bend, a bend in the path, a vine had grown down out of a tree, up the side of a rock, and over the path, forming a perfect gateway over the path. We both stopped in our tracks and went kind of a, whoa, look at that. Is this really happening? And we just kind of looked at each other, astonished, and it was, there was a, an unspoken joint decision. Okay, we're, we're going to walk through that gateway together, right? And we did. And th that kind of experience cannot be recreated in, in a traditional therapy room inside of a building because the natural world presents us with a lot of different kinds of images and smells and experiences and different forms of life that we're not going to have in a therapy room. And listening to the symptom as we're doing that, giving the symptom a voice in the process, will result in some kind of synchronicity usually going on during the session. And the, the, the voice is heard in a much different way. So it's not something like, you know, this, this is, is ruining my life. I hate it. Why is this happening to me? Whatever the, the response might be to the symptom kind of transforms into, oh, my God, look at, that, look at that. Did you see that? And I would never have been here experiencing this if I hadn't had the symptom and if I hadn't taken it outside. And so there's some pretty tremendous experiences that can happen just taking it outside, you know, um, and working with the situation as it actually is. I think that's a very good um, illustration of how ecotherapy can be applied. Um, I was thinking about this. We were talking the other day about how ecotherapy can be beneficial uh, in multiple ways. So one, uh, some of the things I noted, and you can comment on these, were, was somebody who just wants to get more connected to themselves and or connected to nature. And I think both are possible through ecotherapy. What are your thoughts? My first thought is that there is no difference, really, between being connected to nature and being connected to self. We don't default to that, though. We've, we've learned, you know, in modern times, we have learned that we, we're separate from nature somehow. And this is another way of looking at eco-psychology. If, if ecology is the study of nature and psychology is the study of human nature, then eco-psychology is the study of nature and human nature as nature, right? Um, from a Jungian perspective, there, the, the process of psychological development is known as individuation, and coming um, into, into dialogue with the archetype of the self, right? Taking it outside, we, we can talk about the process of ecological individuation and working towards the ecological self. And the self and the ecological self are the center where all things meet, basically. It's a very simplistic way of, of describing it. But the ecological self is where nature and human nature meet and become one. So essentially, we're part of nature. We are nature. Eco-psychology a lot of times begins in that assumption. And, and again, eco-psychology is a very diverse field. So not always. Um, I be, that's where I begin. And the, the, the problem starts where we have a perceived alienation from nature. And, and the, the task or the path back is to become aware again of our essential and inherent uni unity with nature. One of the basic premises of eco-psychology is that we are in an, in an interdependent relationship with the natural world. So when one suffers, both suffer, right? And, and so one thing I wanted to mention earlier is when we hear um, of climate change, we feel something, we suffer a lot of times from that. And our behavior is then is, is directed out of that root of feeling shame, grief, anger. And again, from the geocosmological, also feeling the awe and the celebration. So there's the, the, the separation between us and the natural world is superficial and perceived. 
and the and the the task of ecological individuation is to become not only reunified but also to become reunified in a regenerative way and so it's not a matter of just fixing it and saying so that's it we're done but doing it in a way where this becomes it it regenerates itself and we're able to go out into the world and pass that kind of way that way of being on the earth to others. Excellent. I think that's a really good summary of that. Another thing we talked about was f- f- the why people might want to get interested in ecotherapy was they wanted an alternative to counseling. And I don't mean that they wanted to, you know, fix some major psychological issue with an alternative counseling, but just maybe counseling wasn't really for them and, you know, they didn't want to just go into a consulting room and discuss issues. They wanted someone to walk on the journey with them. They don't have a problem really to be fixed. They, they're they a person who really wants to work on their own path and not really follow the traditional mental health path. Um, and so I talked about that kind of how your the way you do it is that you're mentoring and walking the path with them and helping them in their relationship to the natural world. What are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot. <laughs> a lot of thoughts on that. And, and just recently, someone um, contacted me who was kind of going through a situational situation. <laughs> situational situation is a good one. Um, some situational challenges, right? It's not something that she feels needs to be addressed by counseling or, or therapy, but is something that she needs to work with, work on with someone else. And, you know, so that's one example. Another example, a lot of things can happen over the course of, of a, a therapeutic relationship with a counselor, transference, counter-transference, and, and people might move away or some new life situation will come in will, where it makes that relationship no longer feasible. The thing is, though, when I have... When I've developed a relationship with with nature, and nature becomes the the therapist for both the person facilitating the ecotherapy and for the client participating in it, nature becomes the the therapist. That relationship isn't going anywhere, or or the, the ability to go out into the natural world and engage that relationship isn't going anywhere. And if it does, we have other problems. So there's, and even if we're prevented from going outside into nature, there are things that we can do. We can bring nature, natural objects inside. We can look out the window. In, in some way, we can experience nature intentionally and consciously. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different scenarios that where ecotherapy makes more sense, perhaps, for, for some people than counseling. And that, that's an important thing to, to be aware of. Also, different things resonate with different people. Everyone has something, um, trying not to go to personality types from a Jungian perspective, but we all respond to certain things more passionately than we will to other things. Every, we, we all have our defaults, as it were. And so some people may not respond to traditional therapy or traditional counseling, but they will respond to experiencing that gateway suddenly appearing in the pathway. And that might be what that, the, the sense of awe that comes from that right there, or experiences like that, they, it can't be re- replaced. You know, it, there, there was that moment, that place, that time, that context, and it all came together right there. And it, Trying to replicate that in the, in the counseling room, I'm not sure how that would happen. I don't think that it can because it's, it's a static environment, right? Where you go out into nature, though, it's, it's dynamic. And anything can happen, and it's changing all the time. So it's, it's, uh, on one side, it can be very profound. On the other side, for the facilitator, it can also be a challenge to let it flow where it wants to flow and not try to guide it into a certain thing. Does that make sense? Yes. So it, it's, it's, it becomes a dynamic flow. It becomes a dance with nature, and nature is the ecotherapist. 
I like that. And I think that is, for some people, what they need. They want to go deeper. They want to go into an alternative method of healing and an alternative method of insight because it can be unsettling for somebody with a severe diagnosis to think about change. And that's why I think the therapy office is static and comfortable and warm beverages and a nice couch because that person is so unsettled internally that um, they need that. But for others, they, they go, you know what? I know everything's changing and I'm changing constantly, but I need to, I need to experience something. I'm sick of sitting in this office, in this cubicle, in this situation, in this house, watching the TV. I want to get out there. So I thought about bringing them both together. And something we spoke about the other day was how ecotherapy could be beneficial in addition to traditional counseling or psychotherapy. And we thought about that because, you know, for people in counseling already, they're working on their inner work, hopefully, right? But they might also be working on their relationships or their behavior, or perhaps they're even trying to overcome a biological um, um, issue, which uh, could be resulting in something like bipolar disorder, right? And they they want to work on these issues, but they're just like, goodness, you know, once a week in therapy is helping me a lot, but I still feel disconnected. And so I was thinking about the vital work of, people having a relationship with nature, especially when they've had difficulties with humans. And um, a healing thing that I've seen a lot of people do, and this is, of course, a huge trend right now, is getting a pet, Um, getting an animal that you bring into your home or going out and playing with different animals or watching birds or looking for deer. Because communing with animals, animals have their own agendas and their own language, but uh, you know, for friendly animals, uh, the animals that are friendly to people, uh, it can be very healing to have that relationship when you've had such difficult relationships with humans. Um, but also nature itself, of course, is always changing and evolving. But like you said, that it's not going anywhere. If anything goes anywhere from this planet, it's going to be people going extinct. But uh, the, the planet's not going anywhere. It's just going to be transformed. And so you even talked about, you know, what if somebody has had a, a bad relationship uh, with a counselor or a psychotherapist, which unfortunately does happen a lot, which is why I always encourage people to really study up and go to several counselors before they decide. But in ecotherapy, that, that connection is there. There, there, is, there is always transference and countertransference, but it's there for them. So how could, what are your thoughts on how ecotherapy could be beneficial to somebody who's already in counseling or traditional psychotherapy that wants to add on another layer? Right. Well, there's, I think the, the term Mother Earth didn't come from nowhere. It came from somewhere, right? It's constant. It can be nurturing, it can be loving, and it can be, it can be terrible. It can be harsh. It can be dangerous, right? The, um, a lot of times going out into nature can be soothing. It can be a welcome escape from the constant struggle to sort things out, to figure it out. What's going on with me? Why am I doing this? What do I need to do? So a lot of times in ecotherapy, I'll just sit. We'll just sit. We won't talk. We won't do any mindful practices or anything like that. We'll just sit. And at first, a lot of times that makes people even more uncomfortable. You know, not doing something, not talking but just sitting. And so it, it moves from this dynamic, ever-changing thing that, that I was talking about before into a calming, soothing presence. That's a process, though. Um, that recharges our batteries. That gives us a bit of release from the constant struggle. And that's how it can augment the hard work of psychotherapy, right? It can, it can give us an inner strength. It, can, it lets us know we're not alone. There is Mother Earth that I can always come back to, that I can always find a moment or a few moments, hopefully, of peace. And, and animals, as you mentioned, are an incredibly powerful way to do that. I just had was thinking this morning... Um, several weeks ago, I was out with the dogs. I have three dogs, 
I have a uh, s- small flock of sheep and three border collies. And we were doing something. I can't remember what it was, but I had to move the sheep from one point to another point. And so the dogs are incredibly helpful with that. And so I was out with the dogs bringing the sheep to the different part of the farm. And I looked up on the hill, and there was a deer standing just outside of the fence watching us. <laughs> and it, it just it stood there for several minutes, not eating, not you know moving around, looking around. It was watching us intently. Uh, so I, I tended to anthropomorphize that deer. He's probably sitting there, oh, wow, look at that. That's cool. You know, probably he's going, okay, what's going on there? I've never seen this. Do I need to be afraid? Should, should I run away? What? But it, it was the recognition of the consciousness of an other than human, of the other than human uh, community, right? There was a, a recognition of one another going on there, right? And it wasn't with a human. It was with an animal, with a deer. I, I don't know what he was thinking, or, or she, I don't know what the deer was thinking. I don't know what was going through its head. But I do know that I experienced a sense of camaraderie. And so there was the dogs, there, there were the dogs, there were the sheep, there was the deer and the human. Surrounded by trees and grass and big sky. It was a beautiful day. It must have been late spring. So there, there, that, that was an in, incredible experience for me. You know, when talking about it and telling the story, it sounds maybe, well, so what? There was sheep and a deer, and, and, you know, that happens all the time. Well, I don't know if it happens all the time or not. I know that it doesn't happen all the time to me, right? And so there, there was this connection going on, and this bond developed between us that you're not going to get that in the counseling room, that's for sure. Right there, I can bring sheep into the counseling room. <laughs> I don't know how well that would go right. over. Um, and then another thing, when we were first moving into that farm, and I was there working on the house and fixing it up so, so we could live there, I was outside on the patio kind of taking a break, and a bald eagle flew, flew overhead. And I looked up, and I was like, is that a bald eagle? And he landed... And I was like, oh, my God, it is. It's a bald eagle. And this was the first time that I've seen a bald eagle in person. And so that, that was pretty amazing. Right? And then he, he flew and flew off and circled once or twice and left. I've never seen him again. So there's, you know, moving f- from this, the surface level of those experiences and moving into more of a symbolic, imaginal perspective on these experiences there's there's with with the bald eagle especially there's a lot of associations that we americans have with bald eagles right um and so there's it's not only the recognition of another consciousness of of a being from the other than human community there's all of these associations that come into my into psyche when we have those experiences and so what does it mean okay so in in the u.s right now we're having some pretty serious conversations on the, on the cultural level. And so what does the bald eagle have to say about that? You know, there's, there's liberty, there's the majestic uh, flight of the bird. There's a lot of different things that could be associated with that. And again, working with animals can be quite interesting. I had a dream once that had a buffalo in it. And I'm not going to go into the details about it, but there was a buffalo. And so... There's a lot of associations with buffalo in the United States, in America. There's a lot of um, positive and negative associations that can be made with the buffalo. And so that's, this is just an example of how even if I don't go outside or if I'm not able to go outside, I can still work on my eco-psychological development and move towards my ecological self. So there, I can work with the image of the buffalo and ask about, okay, what associations are coming up with, with this image you know, that has to, obviously has to do with my relationship to the land here in North America, or at least it did in the context of when I had that dream. And so there, there's always a connection to Mother Earth because what, regardless of how one might believe that we got here, 
we've been here on the earth for thousands and thousands of years. This, this is where we grew up, as it were. So there's, there's in my opinion, as an eco-psychologist, there is nothing more primary to our existence than our relationship to the earth. And relationships with others can come and go, including ther with therapists. But that relationship will always be there. And so ecotherapy, at least the way that I approach it, tends to want to nurture that relationship as primary to who we are and, more importantly, who we are becoming. Because that, as I mentioned earlier, the psyche is teleological. It has a purpose. And working with it can help us become who we are going to become. On that note, James, I think we've given the audience a pretty good beginning introduction into what is eco-psychology and what is ecotherapy. So that being said, I know that you offer many different ecotherapy services uh, in the greater part of Michigan. So I know you have some group events that you're starting to organize, and those can be found on your website, which is? Uh, the website is root-and-leaf.com. Don't forget the dashes. Sorry about the clumsy URL, but the root and leaf without the dashes was already taken. Um, so there is not, at the moment, any group information yet. It will be there in the next couple of days. Uh, today is, the, is November 5th. So um, there will be an opportunity, however, to join a mailing list to be notified when these group um, activities are available. We're looking at, at probably next spring, April 2022, when, when those groups will kick off. In the meantime, I do one-on-one -on -one work, um, not only in Michigan, but also online. And in Michigan, uh, in Grand Rapids, Lansing, Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, I'm able to have one-on-one -on -one sessions in all of those areas. And depending on how the person who wants to engage in ecotherapy with me wants, prefers to work, we can go to the woods, we can go um, to a park, we can do it online and just talk about what's going on, and the person can go do um, nature mindful practices on their own. We can also meet indoors for the first one or two sessions to get to know each other. And so there's a lot of different ways. The best way uh, to, to get a hold of me is through my website or through your website, which is healthforlifegr.com. Yes, correct. So Health for Life Counseling in Grand Rapids, we are now partnering with uh, Dr. James Leiter here to um, basically let the world know and let West Michigan know and the state of Michigan know about ecotherapy. Uh, and so you can find out uh, more on our website and, of course, James's website, and those links will be in the show notes. And uh, in the future, Health for Life Counseling hopes to eventually partially host the indoor segment of one of uh, Dr. Leiter's uh, ecotherapy events, uh, coming up uh, before they go outdoors. And I know that you actually facilitate and you've handpicked a number of nature preserves and parks that you work in. Is that correct? Right, right. So in Grand Rapids, um, one of the places is Prairie Wolf Park. It's not in, it's in uh, Byron Center, actually. Um, but there's also Cascade Peace Park and, and other, a couple of other parks in uh, Grand Rapids. In Lansing, there's, there's a, it's like on the east Sorry, west side of Lansing, there's a large park, and I'm, the name is, is failing me right now. I can't remember the name. Yeah, in the Kalamazoo or Battle Creek area, there's Gun Lake. Uh, there's other different natural areas that we can meet. And I'm also in the process of, of building up an ecotherapy campus on my property in uh, close to Hastings. So there's a lot of different places and a lot of different ways to approach this. Excellent. Well, that's very exciting. Um, I'm really excited for people to hear this and for people to get involved and contact you. And so anyone who's interested, whether you're in Michigan or outside of the state, feel free to uh, send James an email and or give him a call and uh, see how we can all work together.
And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you are a therapist and are looking to become EMDR trained, I would recommend EMDR Training Solutions. They are an amazing group of people that provide trainings online and eventually in person to help you become EMDR trained and eventually EMDRIA certified. You can use the code INTENTIONAL, that's the word INTENTIONAL, to get $100 off if you purchase a training, especially if it's your first training. A little bit about what I've been up to, I am almost a full Emdria consultant and I can provide consultation hours and have a group going every Wednesday. So let me know if you would like to be a part of that consultation group. Also, I have a course online called What Do We Do Now for the Parents of Young Adults, which you can find on Udemy. There will be a link in the show notes. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Counseling Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guests, and while these are based upon literature they have read, their experience in their respective fields, and personal experiences, these viewpoints should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color, feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text Steve, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know you could support your local bookstore by shopping at bookshop.org? You can order online from the comfort of your own home while supporting a local bookstore near you that is brick and mortar. If you are not a member of a mental health Counselors Association, I highly recommend that you join, such as the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association, which you can find on the internet, or any other state which you live in. There are a lot of things that go into keeping counseling available to the public. So I really encourage you to get involved in your local organization. Until next time, I'm wishing everyone a safe and peaceful week.